This morning, we are here to embrace mission. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I was in the church growing up and it was Mission Sunday, that normally was a good Sunday for me to catch up on some sleep. I know, I know. So I'm asking you in these next few minutes to not go there. But just say, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Because I want to highlight to you scripture that glorifies and helps us understand what kind of God we serve. I want to share with you an experience for me. Mine is a little bit opposite than Amber, and that's what I love about our story. We are the body of Christ, but we're all gifted differently. And so uh, for the longest time in my own personal life, I never went on a mission trip internationally because I was a little bit afraid that that was what he was calling me to do. You see, in 2001, early on in my ministry, there was something about Russia that just kept coming to my mind. And, and I'm sitting there going, what does, what does that mean? Like, uh, you're not surely sending me to Russia, are you? Because it's cold there. You know, if, if there's a certain place you don't want to go, don't say that to the Lord because he'll send you there. And so now it's Hawaii. And so I don't want to go to Hawaii. I have no desire. No, I'm kidding. But Russia was on my mind. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then, of course, a couple of years later, we had a friend of our church come and, and share about his mission trip experience. And guess what it was about? Russia. And there was that stirring again. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean? And so uh, fast forward 2016, I had this opportunity to go uh, to Guatemala City to work with some children at an organization that uh, the church I was serving at uh, sponsored. And I again, uh, anytime that conversation comes up, I stand in the shadows so nobody can see me, so I don't have to have that question posed upon me to which I have to give a lame answer to. And uh, evidently, I didn't get far enough into the shadows on that day because it just kept coming and coming. And so eventually I said, okay, just leave me alone. I'll go on a trip, Okay. And so we're serving kids all week long. We're with kids all day long. And I'm good with that. I love kids. But Tuesday night in Guatemala City, I have about 20 uh, young boys of all ages, all the way up to junior high. And as uh, Amber said, uh, junior high squirrely kids is universal. All right. It's not just here. It's everywhere. And so these kids were bouncing off the wall. Now, one of the most frustrating part about that trip was I can't speak Spanish. I'm not even that good at English. And so all I can say is siesta, siesta, please, like siesta, trying to get these kids to calm down. They won't. Now I have a long fuse. It takes a long time for me to get mad. But when I snap, I've been told on numerous occasions, it's like waking up a bear. And I don't, I don't, th I never think about that. Uh, my kids are like, oh, <laughs> And so, uh, in fact, one year at a camp that I was a dean of, uh, once I fall asleep, if you wake me up, it's over. I'm mad because I need my sleep. And uh, five, the, 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 the dorm woke me up, and I came unglued. Next day, I found out five seniors in high school wanted to go home because they were scared out of their minds. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm like, what? You know, I was mad. And they were like, no, you weren't. You were going to kill us. And so... Um, so I don't realize that about myself, but so now 
through the years, I've realized, don't lose it. Don't lose it because you come across in a very intense way. So here I am in Guatemala City, can't speak the same language as these kids, and I'm about to lose it. Like, camp, mission trip, over with. Everybody's going back to America. Like, get this kid out of here. So anyway, so I stepped out of the room. I have to step out of the room and to get away from them. And all of a sudden, I'm looking over Guatemala City. I mean, I can see the whole city. And it's like 12.05 in the, in the a.m., and this city is even far from going to sleep. In fact, in my mind, I found myself going to some dark places like what's really happening in the shadows in this community right now? How many victims are there? My heart was overwhelmed, and I was moved. And I, I just thought, well, this is a good moment to say, okay, Lord, is this what you called me to? And strongest whisper I've ever experienced in my life comes back with, no, this is not what I called you to. Now, you thought I, you thought I was going to tell you that he called me. No, he did not. He specifically said, I'm not calling you here. But Amber's story is different, right? So then I take a step back because I'm assuming that this is what he's calling me to do. And he does the big oh no. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. And so I begin to take a step back and I begin to evaluate, Lord, what is it that you really want me to do? What's, what's my calling? Well, about over, just a tad bit over a year ago, that answer came back. I'm 22 years into my Christian walk. I've been a pastor for 21 years. And I'm just telling you about a, uh, just a tad bit over a year ago, the Lord began to reveal to me my calling. And let me tell you, it's been life-changing. Why does God work that way sometimes? Like, wouldn't it be better if he would have done that right at the beginning of my Christian walk? But it's a process. It's a journey. He's never in a hurry, by the way. You, you know, I love Jeremiah 18. You're like clay in his hands. And sometimes he's just going to have to start all over. And it hurts. And I'm okay with that because I'm really starting to see how trustworthy God's hands are. Even if it's squeezing me, it's good. And so, um, so I believe that he's been in a process of just kind of squeezing me and, and reshaping and remolding me. And so over a year ago, this is what he revealed to me, Philippians chapter 1. And Paul, in verse 12, Paul says, I give thanks for the circumstances that I find myself in because it's allowed me to advance the gospel. Well, what are those circumstances that Paul's facing at those moments? Do you know where he is when he writes the letter of Philippians? He's in prison. He's in prison. And he wrote, thank you for the circumstances that I find myself in because it's led to the advancement of the gospel. Is something wrong here? I'm not writing that. I'm... Out of respect, writing, Lord, get me out. I'm doing what you wanted me to do, and I'm in prison? Can you meet me halfway here? No, no, no. Paul's like, I rejoice for my circumstances because even here I get to advance the gospel. That is kingdom-minded, friends. That is someone who sees the big picture of who God is. That's mission. 
That's what it means to understand missions is to understand the bigness and the heart of who God is. He's in prison going, thank you. Because now I'm sharing the gospel. And do you know who he's sharing the gospel with? Verse 13 says that these men are Caesar's handpicked men. They're not just regular prisoner soldiers. These are individuals that Caesar himself has chosen because Paul's that much of a threat. And scholars believe that these, uh, these prison guards were with Paul four to six hours a day, which means Paul has four of them throughout the day. And I laugh. I laugh so hard when I read verse 13 because here's my picture of how this goes. Paul's sitting there chained to a, uh, to a Caesar handpicked man. And Paul looks and says, well, how was your day? Day was rotten. I don't want to talk about it. Leave me alone. But out of respect, Paul, how was your day? Paul's like, let me tell you about Jesus. Isn't that great? And do you know what that poor guy has to listen to for the next four to six hours? The glory and the majesty of Jesus. Shift over with, next guard shows up, same attitude, oh, I hate this job. What's your story, Paul? Paul says, let me tell you about Jesus. You get to Philippians chapter four, verse 22 and 23. These are Paul's words as he finishes up the letter. He says this, my brothers and sisters in Christ send you greetings as well as Caesar's household. What? What? Because Paul embraced the heart and the bigness of who God was and said, regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to advance the gospel. And with these prisoners, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And these prisoners heard it. They embraced it. They believed it. And they began to carry off the gospel message to the point that it was beginning to spread in Caesar's own household. Come on. That's missions. When we see the bigness of God and we see the majesty of his heart, we can't help but communicate it. It's a fire in us that burns. And we try to keep it quiet and it can't. That's missions. That's what we're after. That's what this church is about, both here in our community and around the world. Amber is a fruit of that labor and that mission. But friends, so are you. So are you. Just for a few moments, allow me to look at Scripture. Because one of the things I really want to do, I feel like my responsibility is for you to see the bigness of God. Now, as clever and brilliant, I'm kidding, uh, I'm not. I'm just simple-minded, all right? But I just want to share scripture with you. But the reality is I know this isn't my work. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking him to just fall upon your heart in mighty ways. But all I want to do is shine the flashlight on some scripture to remind you the bigness of God and really his heartbeat. In Genesis chapter 1, when he created Adam and Eve in his image, he gave them a command. You know what the command was? The first command that he gave Adam and Eve was simply this command to be fruitful and multiply. That, that, that verse right there just gets me all fired up because I have a picture of God. Now, I understand because of life here on earth, we all have a different picture of God. I respect that. I embrace that. Uh, I, I've gone through my different journeys 
But I'm just telling you today, the picture of God that I have now is this God who's like this passionate, overwhelmingly loving, crazy, bouncing off the walls dad who likes to have a lot of kids in the living room. That's my picture of God. More the merrier. Get them all in. Let's get some more kids in here. Let's get them in. Let's get, go, go, go. Get some more kids. Get them in here. I've got plenty of resources. We'll never run out of funds. We're going to party. That's the picture that I have. Because scripture reminds us on numerous occasions, he doesn't wish that anyone would depart from him. You hear that? All people groups, all nations, all kids. And I don't want to, you know, there are moments where I walk in the living room and I'm like with my dad and it's like cool, but then I'm like, I wish other people were here, right? I don't want to be the only kid in the living room. More the merrier. And it starts right here with you and I. So in Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply. Now sin enters the world in Genesis 3. So that means probably the mission of God has changed. Nope. Genesis 9, God says to Noah, be fruitful, multiply. God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, be fruitful, multiply. God says to Isaac in Genesis 26, be fruitful and multiply. God says to Jacob in Genesis 35, be fruitful and multiply. God says to Joseph in Genesis 48, be fruitful and multiply. You hear the heartbeat of God? The more the merrier. I want a living room full of kids from all nations, from all people groups, from all tribes in different languages. I like that. Now that I want to be a part of. You know what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says? It's a great commission. But you know what it really says? Be fruitful and multiply. You see, the heartbeat of God has always been true from the very beginning of time. And even sin doesn't even stop what God desires. Capture that, my friends. I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would just Bring that to your mind on a daily basis. That's why Amber is in El Salvador. Love it. We have a problem, though. We have a major problem. And that problem, friends, is called sin. And we have someone who stands behind the title of sin and his name is Satan. And John 10.10 tells us that his job is to still kill and destroy. He wants to destroy every single individual who exists on the face of this earth. And he will not stop until he thinks that he can accomplish that task. But he has no power because of who? Jesus. And so the problem and why Amber, and Amber could tell you more about this than I could, but the reality is we live in a world right now that has been completely deceived. 
one of Satan's major tools that he uses in our world today is deception. That thing right there is what I'm after. And so we do everything we can to attain whatever that might be. And then once we grab it, guess what? We're not satisfied. You know why? Because Satan's behind that making you think and deceiving you that that's the answer. When in reality, all he's doing is trying to steer you away from Jesus. That he's a master at that. He's brilliant. I mean, it's a work of art. And I say that because it's happened in my own personal life numerous times. And I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, this morning it came to me and I, I mean, I was like, whoa. And in 2 Corinthians 5, and in fact, I'm going to have Daniel. Uh, this time I'm not going to wait for a phone call. I am going to call him. And I'm going to say sometime, let me come and preach on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I would encourage you this week to just to read it. But I love the letter because in this chapter, Paul's talking about the ministry of reconciliation. Think about that. It's a ministry of reconciliation. And if you want to know how big God is, his international mission, he's the one that started it by sending his son from the glories of heaven down to this earth. And why did he send his son Jesus down here? To show us the way to the Father. That's mission. That's a ministry of reconciliation because Jesus knew that we were easily deceived and so he wanted to come down and lift the veil off our faces so that our eyes would see the true beauty of who he is. And you know when you and I see the truth of who Jesus is, it says in John 8 that the truth will set us free. Is that great news? So Jesus is the minister of reconciliation and he has come and he has redeemed and he has saved us. But now that we know the mission of God and now that we know what Jesus has done, do you know what our responsibility is today? To continue on that mission. And we are all specifically called, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're all called into the ministry of reconciliation. I love the story of Amber and this 13-year-old boy because that 13-year-old boy has got broken sin inside of him. He's been deceived. He's been robbed. His life has been stolen. His innocence has been stolen. That's what Satan does. He's a master at that. And Amber says, I have seen Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus is big and Jesus is so big that I am going to step into a hard 13 year old boy cussing at me in Spanish and I don't know what he's saying because I want to help lift the veil off of his face so that he can see who Jesus really is. That's the ministry of reconciliation and friends, guess what? We who call on Jesus as our savior, we have been given the same title. You have a ministry of reconciliation at your job. You have a ministry of reconciliation within your own household. You have a ministry of reconciliation in your neighborhood. Don't look at these people as major problems. Look at them as they're broken and they've been deceived and I have seen Jesus and I want to lean in and help lift the veil so they can see Jesus. And we do that through love. I love, love love covers a multitude of sin. Love never fails. And the greatest of these is 
love. For God so loved the world. Loved. And when you and I lean in, even in brokenness and ugliness, and we might be cussed at and yelled at, persecuted. As Paul says, but it was love that compelled me. Then something mighty and amazing happens, doesn't it, Amber? And you start seeing changes. And it's not you. It's not you. She knows that. But what a glorious moment to lean in and to know that God has used you. Because you should feel that way because that's what we were called to do. We have a ministry of reconciliation. I have served in a church for 21 years. And I don't serve in a church as a pastor anymore. And I'm not really sure that I ever will again. I don't know. It's up to God. But I can tell you this. Now that I have stepped out of that arena, but because of what the Lord laid on in my heart about over a year ago about advancing the gospel, regardless of where you're at, friends, I have walked with some of the darkest people I've ever known in the last year of my life. Just being honest, people that I probably would not connect with. And it's been an absolute joy to share Jesus. And are you ready for this statistic? Guess how many of them have rejected me as an individual? None. They don't reject my message. They respectfully listen. And I think one of the reasons why is because I'm willing to lean into their ugliness and mess. It's messy. It's messy to receive a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Don't like it because I like my sleep. But it's the ministry of reconciliation that we've been called into. Friends, that's missions. That's the heartbeat of God from the very beginning of time. What a privilege. What a privilege to be inconvenienced for the glory of God. Ministry of reconciliation. I'm, I'll say it one more time and we'll move on to the, my last thought. If you call on Jesus as your Savior, you specifically have been called into the ministry of reconciliation. Let me share with you the passage so that you know that I'm not making this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 is where I'm going to start. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. I love that. I mean, oh my gosh. I, at 1 o'clock, I'm just going to come back and preach 2 Corinthians 5. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not because I'm ready for a nap. At one time, we thought of Christ merely for, from a human point of view, how differently we know now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That's the gospel right there, isn't it? Amen to that. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. That's for you. And all your ugliness and messiness, that's for me. And now, friends, we get to continue on the ministry that God established in Genesis chapter 1. That's rich. 
that's rich. Psalm 96, I'm going to finish up here. You know what? We're going to bypass Psalm 96. Read it on your own as a devotion today. You'll, it won't take long for you to go, oh, I see exactly what the writer of Psalm is saying, but I want to go to Revelation chapter 7 because I want to finish up here because I feel like the Spirit's saying you're done. And I want to honor that. Revelation chapter 7. Let me give you context. John is the writer of this book. And John is a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to just imagine what John has experienced through his life. Okay? The whole calling by Jesus to come follow me. Like John was with his dad in a boat. Jesus said, follow me. And John's like, see you, dad. And I, I, I used to always have a hard time with that. But now I've learned that the dad was sitting in a boat going, go, son go. He's the one. He's the one. And so John begins to follow Jesus. Think about all that John has experienced. Some of his closest friends and companions in ministry he has seen killed because of their faith. And why he avoids being martyred for his faith, I don't know. And so you know what the religious leaders decide to do? They're like, Let's, we got to shut this guy up. So we'll send him out to an island called Patmos and just like, I, I, I see them just dropping him off on a boat and just saying, shut up. And as they drive away, John's sitting there and he's covered in flesh, just like you and I. There's nothing different about me and John. And I, I wonder if John's sitting there just going, is this worth it? Maybe I should shut up. Maybe life will go better for me if I shut up. That's not true. But I wonder if at times he ever wondered, Was, is this worth it? But you know, while he's at the island of Patmos and the religious leaders have told him to shut up, guess who shows up? The Lord does. Jesus shows up. And you know what Jesus does? I love this. Jesus gives John a glimpse of eternity. Isn't that so Jesus? I know why you're here on this island, John, but uh, by the way, I never leave you. I never forsake you. Wherever you are, I'm there. So Jesus shows up and gives John a glimpse of eternity. Now that is mind-blowing. Just Jesus and John on an island. I could go for that right now. And chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, blow my mind. I love it. And this is how we'll kind of come to a close. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count. Like John just decided, you know, like most pastors, right, I'm going to count, see how many people are in my church today. <laughs> John is counting the people, and then finally John goes, what? There's, it's like trying to count the stars. Isn't it beautiful? Too great to count. From every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and what were they doing? Jump down to verse 10. And they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. How does that happen? When people like Amber 
says. Let's go. It's people like you who begin to see the bigness of who God is and you say, I'm in, let's go. I love Isaiah in chapter six of Isaiah where Isaiah sees the bigness of God and and Isaiah's response is, woe is me, (laughs) which is a great response. When you see the bigness of God, you should immediately feel tiny because that's the truth. And, And Isaiah even comes to a place of going, I, I am a man of unclean lips, like he's confessing his sins. And God heals him, heals him in that moment, shows Isaiah how big he is. And then God uniquely says, my heartbeat is be fruitful, multiply, and I'm looking for someone to go. Who should I send? And Isaiah's going, send me, send me. Like he's elbowing to get to the front of the line. That's how we should live. Friends, I'm pleading with you. That's how we should live. Because of the reconciliation that took place on the cross for my sins and for your sins. And when we begin to grasp just how magnificent the love of Jesus Christ is for us, it should cause us to elbow our neighbors and say, send me. I fear nothing. I fear nothing. Because you are with me. Let me say a couple of practical things and I'm done. Number one, let me just simply say as, as I echo what Amber's already said, go, just go, just do it. Let me say this. You will experience something on the other side that you normally wouldn't experience. Don't miss out on that. Overwhelming? Yes, as it should be because we're stepping into something that's bigger than us anyways, which is always good. That's always good. It always leads to good when we step into something bigger than ourselves. Go. Here's one of two things that are gonna happen if you go. One is he's going to say, this is what I want you to do, which then at that point you go, oh, but don't worry, because if he's called you to do that, he's gonna take care of you. But there's a second option. You know what the second option is? No, I didn't call you to this. And you go, okay, great. And then you come back and you continue to give thanks for the circumstances that you're in so that you can advance the gospel. Go, just go, just go, do it. Don't even think about it, just do it. I'm serious. Now, I love grace. And so I wanna say this, if you just simply do not ever get to a peace in your your heart to go. I respect that, I really do. But be involved. Be involved spiritually. Two ways that you can be involved. Number one, be involved spiritually by making a commitment to grab somebody who's going on a mission trip and saying, I'm committing to being your soldier while you're gone over there and I will faithfully pray for you every day while you're doing that. Amber, does that mean the world to you to know that people are praying for you? Are you kidding me? And not only are people praying for you, but I love in Romans uh, 8 that says that even Christ is praying for you. And financially get invested. I'm, I'm serious. Financially commit to helping some. If you know somebody in your church family is wanting to go, but they don't have the funds, then take care of that. 
you'll be richly blessed for that. And you'll be a part of what's happening around the world. Have you journeyed with me? Do you see the heart of God? He's a big dad who passionately, overwhelmingly loves us and he wants to have a blast. And he wants all kids present. And you and I are gonna do our darndest to make sure that all kids are present. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come before you because your word is alive and active. I mean, it's alive and active. We just saw it. Your word is good. It's like honey to our lips. It's like water on a thirsty day. And we love that you loved us so much that you came after us. The ministry of reconciliation started first with you. Mission started first with you. The fact that we are rescued was your mission. And we want to continue that on so that all nations and tribes and people groups today, right now, there are at least 7,000 people groups in the world that have not heard about your son, Jesus. Lord, we want to bridge that gap right here. 7,000 people groups. That's 3.19 million people who have not heard about Jesus. That's unacceptable to us. Use us. Whether we're here or whether we're willing to get up and go, use us because we want to bridge that gap. You long for no one. You long for no one to depart from you. And that also means in this room this morning right now. And I'm begging, Lord, if there's somebody here who has not embraced you as their Savior, there is no reason for them not to do it today, right now. You are so madly in love with us, Jesus. And if there's somebody in this room because we love you, because we want to come alongside you and journey with you, if that describes you in this room this morning and you want to embrace Jesus as your personal Savior, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yes. 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 Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You are the one true living God. There is no other. And this world has been deceived. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But you, Jesus, you have come to give us life, abundant life. And I pray that we live that life starting right now abundantly for your glory, for your honor. And that those who are deceived, we will come alongside them. We will lift up the veil and they will see Jesus. Yes, we are praying for that. We want to see Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.